Hello and welcome to the European VC, your podcast for insights into European VC. Broadcasting from Denmark, I'm Andreas, and as usual, I am joined by David, who's tuning in from Portugal. Hi, David. How are you today? Hi, Andreas. I'm feeling great. Thank you for asking. I'm really excited to introduce our guest for today's episode. But before that, I would remind our listeners that you can suggest topics or guests for future episodes through LinkedIn or at theeuropeanvc.com. If you are about to raise an international round, do feel free to reach out to us for an introduction to relevant VCs. I would like to start by thanking Mario Muraj from Climber for introducing us to today's guests and for suggesting some insightful questions. Today we are joined by Andres Dancausa, fund partner for Europe, Middle East and Africa at The Venture City. The Venture City helps diverse founders achieve global impact through a unique new model bringing together a product-led acceleration program and an early stage venture capital fund, which operates out of Madrid in Spain. Andres is an operator turned investor. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Thank you. I'm very excited to be part of this amazing community that you are building and to share with you guys the beauty of investing in technology. Thanks to you, Andreas and, and David. And also thank you to Mario, one of our best executors founders that we have in the portfolio running time right now. Andreas, I would like to start out on the personal side of you. I know that you're quite passionate about climbing and that you've been to some pretty amazing places such as the Kilimanjaro and Mont Blanc. Could you share with us why do you love mountain climbing and what has been the most amazing place you've ever been? This is a passion that I discovered uh, some years ago, and now it's a kind of madness that uh, holds me spellbound. What does it mean for me uh, to climb? Well, I think it's a way to conquer dreams totally out of your comfort zone, right? As cities uh, grow and we isolate ourselves away from nature, I feel that mountains are still a place where things are not humanly runs, right? They are not controlled. There are no traffic lights. There are no clocks. Sometimes no people around you. I would say quite the opposite. It's not harder. The goal, I would say that it's deeper. And the next step is not easy at all, especially for me. Uh, a simple amateur mountaineer is just about you and what you are able to achieve. So your capabilities, your desires, your fears, and your strengths are amplified. Somehow, It's kind of like similar to uh, what an entrepreneur experienced during his journey. But let me share with you a very simple lesson learned that I remember every single time that I go to the mountain, which is, I think, is the most important thing that I've learned. I think when you are climbing a mountain, the most important thing is not to conquer the summit. The most important thing is the way. It's like a real life. You chase a goal aggressively, but once that you have reached the goal, you discover that the way was the most important thing. The way at the end of the day is the goal. <laughs> uh, with that in mind, it doesn't matter if you succeed or you fail because you were focused on what mattered for me, which is the goal. So yes, I love mountain. And, yeah, and you asked me about the with speak. So well, it's hard to say. I loved love to call Kilimanjaro was very special for me because it was during my honeymoon. I hope that it was also. I think it was also special for <laughs> my wife. Uh, but I think that probably Mont Blanc is the most special one. I mean, when you are there, the mountain reveals your insignificance as just another human being in front of the nature. Very cool, Andres. Thank you for sharing that. When we first chatted, I was a tad bit jealous <laughs> and I told you that <laughs> because I was planning on climbing the Kilimanjaro and unfortunately that wasn't possible this year. <laughs> so hopefully I will do it and I'll come back to you to ask for some tips. <laughs> Andres, in a nutshell, can you explain to us what makes the Venture City unique? 
You guys have uh, an accelerator program and a VC fund that basically run in parallel. And I would love to further understand the impact of this model on LPs. So I guess my question has two parts. Why did you guys end up going for this model? And second, how is it perceived by your LPs? Are there clear benefits for the investors in their eyes? It's a really good question. Let me give you some context about the Venture City because the company was founded by Laura Gonzalez Stefani and Clara Burris a few years ago. Lara, she was based in San Francisco and she did realize that there were a huge opportunities because not always the best founder were getting the best support. Meaning that if you were a great founder, new to the Bay Area, uh, without the right network and the right people around you, it was so hard for you to build the Facebooks or Slacks of the world, right? So this is how the Venture City started, by putting talent, connections, and capital to work for those entrepreneurs. And then, fortunately for the consultant, Laura decided to join Clara as co-founder and set up the Venture City as an international operator-led venture capital. So we have people all over the place, in San Francisco, in Miami, Sao Paulo, Barcelona. We are helping startups to grow and make the global entrepreneurship system really diverse. I know that this is a trending topic. You asked me about what makes us unique, and it's a team. <laughs> I know that you have heard this a lot of times, but what Laura made possible is to have an incredible team of operating partners working with our portfolio companies. By doing two things, it's, and here you have the value for the piece, it's really hard to attract real operators as we have in the team to a venture capital. All of us have either an entrepreneurial background, like in my case, I have founded two companies before joining the Venture City, or they have been working for the growth tech teams of tech giants. And a second angle is that we have created, as we said, two vehicles to support this team. First, an accelerator that invests in the early stages of a startup, and second, a venture capital firm, which I lead for Europe uh, that invest in Series C or Series A, supported by uh, this team of formative partners. So at the fund, uh, we have a leverage over the structure created by the accelerator, accelerator to help the companies in their early stages. And in the same way, the accelerator take, takes advantage of the fund by giving uh, them access I mean, to, the, to the founders, to more mature companies and capital with us or other funds, right? So, and, and to sum up, I would say that for the LPs, there are three main benefits. First, we are, uh, first fund was a 50 million fund that can afford having this structure of operating partner without increasing the management fees uh, that you need to recruit this kind of operating parties. Usually you find this structure when you are talking about funds over 200 million euros, right? Second, because of what I just said, right? We the opportunities to invest in the best entrepreneurs because they want capital, but also because they want to work with our operating parties. And third, last but not least, we build a broader brand in the earlier uh, stages through the accelerator that invests more or less in 40 companies per year. So that way we reinforce uh, somehow the deal flow and in some case, we work with the startup in the accelerator and then we invest on them. So we have the opportunity to they risk a lot the investment by working with, with them. This is the case, for example, of 1.3, which is an incredible company who 
that was invested by the accelerator first, and then we was invested by the time. You started off by explaining the motivation behind the TVC project. And that's something that actually we at the UVC are also quite passionate about. So, you know, financing and potentiating innovation in areas that are underfunded or whether it's geographies or typologies of entrepreneurs, personalities, whatnot. But I would like to use that to kick off in a provocative way, if you don't mind, because we are actually quite curious. You guys claim to invest in mission-driven and diverse entrepreneurs. And, you know, this is a, an amazing claim, but it's also a bit fluffy nowadays, we find, you know, so we're not going to let you off too easy. So we're quite interested in hearing about how you've embedded this into your investment strategy and ensure that it's not just like a fancy buzzword, you know? How do you find and support these purpose-driven and diverse entrepreneurs? So, thanks for the question. First of all, let me say that at Adventure City, we love to provoke and challenge each other. So, well, actually our model is quite provocative. I mean, you don't see any other investing firm created three years ago who has invested already in 80 companies through the accelerator and through the fund in three different regions like US, LATAM, or Europe, founded by two female founders, basically who are immigrants in this country, right? And recruiting tech people and entrepreneurs instead of bankers or MA consultants. I don't want to offend anybody, but it's, it's not what you see quite often, right? So thanks for this provocation. We think that actually the ecosystem really, really needs more provocative questions. So but I, I don't want to, I don't know, I'm going to avoid uh, the answer. So we invest in purpose driven founders and diverse founders first, because we want to impact and improve the world. And second, because this is the best way to invest. I've run two companies before joining the Venture City. And I can tell you that the ups and downs that you have to experience when you are an entrepreneur are just supported if you are a mission-driven founder. To build a really successful business is just the passion of your mission, uh, what pushes you to go over your limits and, and success. This is related to, to your first point. The second point, of course, we invest in diverse founders. Again, we want to create a more equal world, but also because diversity makes stronger companies in a global world. It's key. Nowadays, I think it is almost impossible to build a global business without a multicultural and diverse team capable of understanding different angles of uh, the same issue. So if you want to conquer the world, you need a global team. And we really believe in that. It's not just our investment thesis. It's something that we experience in our own skill. I mean, our team is saved by Americans, Spaniards, Brazilians, French, Canadians, Argentinians, Russians, British, Venezuelan people, for sure I'm missing someone. <laughs> but all of us, we are really connected to this diverse world. And when you are connected to this kind of diverse world, you find diverse entrepreneurs. Andres, I would have asked you about how you see the trade-off between profit and doing good, but it's clear from your answer that you don't see there being a trade-off at all. However, not everyone thinks so. So I'm interested in hearing how has your conversations with LPs been? Yeah, so actually, as you said, I don't agree with this statement of doing good and, and good investments is the right approach, right? I think that this conflict does not exist in the long-term vision of a company. And that's what we say to the LPs, right? And I, I would say that LPs want this approach. It's not just us understanding this vision, right? I've already explained uh, that diversity of gender, ethnicity, uh, race, culture, religion, or sexual orientation truly brings a wealth of ideas and resources created from companies. 
And in the same protection of our environment plays an important role, right? In our uh, decisions, uh, we are focused on early stage companies. So when our investor come to us with this thing that you have already said, we always said the example of Cabify, which is one of our portfolios companies that became a hundred percent carbon neutral back in 2018 as part of its corporate social responsibility. And they are doing great, right? So of course, sometimes a very early startup can struggle with some of those principles in the early days, but all of them in our portfolio have the vision in the main term to operate under those ESG. And let me give you some numbers that we usually give uh, to the investor because we practice what we preach. Okay. We have invested in multicultural founders from more than 20 countries, of which 50% of them are minorities. They employ people from more than 50 countries, and the 11% of our portfolio companies have female founders. A very small number for me, but I'm like about 10 times the industry average. So we are not satisfied with this. We are working hard to drive the number to 50%, but at least we are from running in the industry, right? And we are always pushing founders to involve more women into the management uh, level. So answer to your question, we are stick to our investment thesis by believing in the ESG and until now, the risks are really good. Maybe I can afterwards if you want save some data. But this thesis, even if we are a very young fund, is having great results in terms of returns for the investor. Andres, I'd like to follow that up and ask more about the operational side then, because I always think when I hear 50% are immigrants and so on and so forth, I always think so. At what point of the evaluation process does this come in as a criteria? Are you looking at deal flow where you know these facts about the founders or is it something that is only revealed at a later stage? Well, usually you see this during the process of analyzing it. It's something that uh, it reveals your first conversation with the founder if this is something that he's worried about. And again, it's not that we think that if a founder is not working with a diverse team, they are not a good team to us. What we think is that the company is less stronger than others who will understand in a better way the world, the global world. So we operate with this framework during the analysis and also during the management portfolio, one that we have already invested, right? We ask them for our quarterly review, we ask them for operational metrics, financial metrics, but also ESG metrics. So we are focusing on that at the beginning during the portfolio management company. So now, Andres, I'd like to change the focus a bit and focus on another thing which many people believe is a secret sauce of yours, which is the fact that you only invest in product-led growth companies, meaning that, of course, you aren't investing in companies that you see will have a very large marketing spend. It needs to come from the product growth. Could you tell us more about how this affects the operations in your fund? Yeah, that's a really good point, because actually, as you said, this is one of our secrets, so right? So to our listeners, a product growth company means a company that uses the product as the main weapon to grow. So instead of using marketing campaigns, as you said, to buy clients, they understand data, they product usage, and then they see how to build growth loops, right? The best way to identify, answer to your question, the best way to identify 
if you are in front of a, of a product-led growth company, is by stopping the marketing investment and see if they still grow without spending any single penny in ads. For our investors, this approach is the best way to create capital-efficient companies as a consequence of that, because companies are not addicted to financing rounds and the founders are, and their investors are not diluted year by year in an unnecessary rounds. So it's, again, the best angle to invest in the companies and preserve your equity value in the company throughout the years. To set you like some examples of those, uh, probably everybody knows, we have companies like Facebook, LinkedIn, or Slack using this approach. And now Slack is really famous because of their operation. Yesterday we had the IPO for Airbnb, same thing. So I would say that is the right approach. So how are we following this approach? So we analyze the data behind the growth, especially the metrics related to the engagement, retention, virality. We don't analyze the business just from the PL perspective. We look first at the quick radio, for example, to understand if the company's growth is sustainable or not. Or we analyze the retention rate to see if the company is going to keep their user base growing in the next phase of the product or not. And again, here the operating partners that we have are key in this analysis because we can understand thanks to their vision, the product, the technology and the data behind the company. And this is kind of our moat against other funds because we can anticipate what is going to happen to the PML in the future by understanding what is happening to the product today. So Andres, you already kind of shared with us the story behind the creation of the Venture City, you know, and its operational focus and the reason why you have it. But I know that you also have some interesting data on this positioning that you guys are adopting. And I would love for you to share a bit more about the strategic reasons why that makes sense from your perspective, rather than a more kind of financial operating structure or even a strategic operating structure of a fund. Yeah. So... Investment point of view, I think this strategy matters a lot, right? First, because it gives you access to the best startup. When you are an early stage company and a founder, uh, you need three things. Capital, attract talent, and growth. With our operating partners, we provide knowledge and real experience that helps the company to grow and also to recruit and retain talent. So founders choose the venture city as their preferred option. That's one of the first things, right? It gives you access to the best deal flow. And second, there is a huge opportunity in this regard, especially in Europe. There is less than a 5% of the funds that are offering these services. But if you go to Silicon Valley and you will see the five best funds according to Prequin, you will see that three out of those five funds are offering this operating role to their startup. So we think that this is the best compete with other firms and it seems to be the right strategy. If, if you want a really successful portfolio, this is from our point of view the best way to do it. And let me give you some data and know just worth because even if we were emerging funders with our first fund, now we are raising our second fund. And even if we were with the Venture City first fund, if you visit Prequin, for sure everybody knows, we are in the top quartile in terms of net IRR competing with older or more experienced fans like Mangrove or for Ryan who are already in the fan six, something like that, right? And we were the new kids on the block. So the second source is what I've already said. Operational diverse team, global uh, founders, 
this is what we are looking for, right? So we are, and I am a strong believer, that's why probably I joined going to City. I am a strong believer that the more you give, the more you get. Operational experience is something that we want to give to the community as much as we can. Andres, I'm going to go completely off script right now. <laughs> and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, it's slightly provocative, but it's also on kind of the more personal and professional development side of things. You guys as an organization are very focused on having operators or people with a lot of operational experience and you yourself have that background. However, you know, it is often told in the industry that being a founder and being an investor are similar, but different skill set. And so what I'm curious to know about is actually even your personal take on the process of learning how to become an investor with that track record, but also the biases, right? Of being a founder. Oh, that's a very really good question because there's so much to learn. And as you say, most of us were operators turned into it. And there are different, different angles. For me, what I've discovered in the last few years is that passion is key. It's something that is really difficult to find in an entrepreneur. I know that everybody says the same. Passion, passion, passion. Now, especially in the last year, what we have seen is uh, with this situation of COVID-19 and this huge crisis, what we have seen is that those founders who were passionate about their dreams and about their companies are doing whatever it takes. And now they are stronger than one year ago, which is amazing because in February, everybody was really scared about the situation, right? So, of course, you need to have a lot of kids like tech, product, and all of these things, but Passion is something that it's really hard to detect when you are an investor because you are analyzing this personal side in the other way around, right? I would say that in this way, because I was there and I experienced the, this roller coaster of uh, launching a company, I would say that we can understand a bit more this passion. I, founder, uh, wants to just have successful business and, and earn a lot of money. And who is who wants to really solve an issue, a problem that he has experienced. Actually, the first thing that we analyze in our portfolio companies is the founder market fit. This is key for us. Even more important of the product market fit <laughs> because a founder market fit company has a lot of opportunity with the product market fit, but not the other way around. Now, Andres, this being a podcast dedicated to fostering a borderless European VC industry, we would like to round this interview off with a quickfire round. Quickfire round is when we ask you quick answer questions, 30 seconds about that for each one. Are you ready for it? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> Andres, what would you personally like to change about VC in general and maybe in particular in regards to European VC? Okay, uh, 30 seconds you said, right? So I mean, we, we need more operational experience in the ecosystem. Less decision-making process based just on a PNL analysis and more tech people investing in companies who truly understand the real bonds of a business. And Andres, what would be your advice to VCs looking to promote ESG principles in their own portfolios? So ESG principles only make sense if they are an essential piece of your mindset. If they are an essential piece of this, they will flourish in every conversation you will have with your portfolio companies. And finally, what can we expect in the future from Andres and the Venture City? <laughs> okay, well, I joined the Venture City because I want to build or help to build a unicorn. So I guess that in our future, we can expect a lot of unicorns to come, or maybe as, as we like to call them, Iwanacorns, which is the animal, uh, the historical animal that we have in the Venture City in connection with our Miami's headquarters. Let's see a lot of Iguana corns to come.
yeah, and uh, we definitely need to get a picture of an iguanacon uh, to share sure. with uh, with our <laughs> listeners. So we have t-shirt with that. We have whatever you want. Very cool, Andres. Thank you very much for your time. I can totally understand why you were introduced to us because you were presented to us as a very approachable and humane company and i can definitely see that thank you for your time and we hope to keep in touch and to hear from you again soon thank you guys thanks for this amazing opportunity to talk to the community and please for those who have listened don't hesitate if you want to reach out i will be always happy to see you and try to help thank you this was our interview with andres Dancasa, fund partner for europe middle east and africa at the venture city If you want to see more from Andres, follow him on LinkedIn. That's all for today and thanks for listening. The European VC is your go-to place for insights into the European VC industry. Visit theeuropeanvc.com to hear more from us and feel free to suggest topics or guests for future episodes. We are always there for you.